Okay, so this morning we begin a brand new series entitled Advancing Your Joy. And the title of this series captures the theme of the book of Philippians. And the theme is that God is ferocious for your joy. He is ferocious for your joy. God wants your joy and your happiness and your pleasure more than you do. And one of the ways that we see that is that it's displayed here in the book of Philippians by the Apostle Paul. This is known as one of the prison epistles because it was written while Paul was in jail in Rome. And could you imagine Paul in jail in Rome tied to some guard writing a letter to bring the church in Philippi, the church that he loves, joy, right? Shouldn't it be the other way around? Maybe the church should be writing the apostle Paul about joy, but no, it's Paul here writing about joy to the church in Philippi because joy is what they need for the sustaining long haul of a walk with God that is day by day. Joy. We think about the things that make us happy or bring joy to our lives. Maybe it's going to see a movie. Maybe it's playing video games. Maybe it's time with a family. There might be any number of things that look like joy in your life. Maybe when you think about joy, you see joy over the long haul. That joy isn't just simply the here and now, but joy is preparing for something greater. It is delayed gratification for the sake of something bigger and more important later on. Maybe that is your idea of joy. And so you save your bank account for your 403B and your 401k in order to have a good retirement or uh, you also prepare to save it for a down payment on a house or maybe to transition into a new career field and all these things that we think about are things that we might be pursuing that we believe bring us joy but what one of the things that God says is that if joy isn't found in Jesus then joy cannot be found. There's an author and pastor, his name is Tony Merida, and he says, if you have everything but Jesus, you'll be longing for more. If you have nothing but Jesus, you have everything you need for joy. So think about that for a moment in your life. Do you long for joy? And then what are the things that you think will bring you that joy? And if it doesn't include a life with Christ, then you'll just be longing for more each and every day. We all know this because we've all been through certain things in life and we've all had certain things that we have got that we thought would bring us joy, but found that those things don't really satisfy, do they? Maybe those things do bring us joy for the short term, but they're not the joy that sustains us through Christ. I remember in getting married and having children, oh, the joy that comes with those things. But oh, the troubles, the conflict, the difficulties, raising my children and seeing them grow up. And when they 
learn how to talk, the first word they learn how to say is no. And how much joy that ultimately brings in the household. Sorry, I don't want to teach Yori that at a young age. So uh, that word no. But uh, it is the word that we learn uh, over and over and over again. And it is, goes to show us that we are in need of God's joy and not the joy that comes in the surrounding circumstances. And that's the occasion by which Paul writes this book. Circumstances notwithstanding, his heart is filled with joy. And it's filled with joy when he thinks about the church in Philippi that he planted. The the church in Philippi was a miracle. If you read the book of Acts chapter 16, you see that the church of Philippi was planted with the planting of the gospel. You might remember Paul's missionary journey where he was traveling through the Asia Minor and it seemed that God was closing every door for the Apostle Paul. He tried to go in one way, God shut him out. He tried to go in another way, God shut him out. One night he gets this vision, and the vision is from a man in Macedonia who says, come help me. And so Paul goes to Macedonia, which is Philippi. And as he goes there, by the river are these ladies, and he goes to these women who are by the river and he proclaims to them the gospel and it turns out the man that said come help me wasn't a man but it was a woman and her name was Lydia I love the name Lydia because my mom's name is Lydia she's near and dear to my heart and she has been an incredible encouragement in my life and has prayed for me Paul loved this woman Lydia because she was the first convert in the church of Philippi. She was a businesswoman from Thyatira selling purple goods. And Paul got to see the day that she was not a Christian and became a Christian and was baptized in that river. And she said, come home to my house, showed Paul and his entourage hospitality, and her whole family was saved that day. That's a pretty good start. To the church of Philippi. Well, everything went down there, downhill from there. There's a, uh, another day where they went to minister by that same river. And there was a slave girl who was possessed by a demon. And she was saying, these are servants of the most high God who come to proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now that sounds pretty good, right? There's something a little prophetic there. Even demons know that good news is coming, but what they seek to do is thwart that good news. And the apostle Paul was on it. He was perturbed. He was annoyed. And after quite a few times of this, of her saying this and distraction was made, Paul exercised that demon by saying, come out of her in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a good thing, right? God's favor is shining upon the Apostle Paul in his ministry. But this slave girl who was possessed by this demon was making a fortune for her slave owners by telling fortunes because of the demon. And so they were upset. They were frustrated. The way to these fortunes were not made anymore. And so they got 
a group together, a mob together. They brought Paul beaten and bloodied before the magistrates. They beaten and bloodied him and his friends again. They threw him in prison. And they're in prison that night singing hymns and spiritual songs. And the thresholds of the ground begin to shake. And the thresholds of the building begin to shake. And the prison doors fly open. You think, wow, God's making a way for them to escape. But they stay there. And the jailer who's in charge with their life sees these prison doors are opened. And he thinks they must have gone. And he begins to kill himself. And Paul says, wait, we're all present and accounted for. And the jailer immediately says, what must I do to be saved? And that jailer invites the Apostle Paul and Silas into his household. And the jailer's whole household is saved and baptized that day. And with the salvation that took place in those people, it was the planting of the church of Philippi. The gospel of joy began to grow. And Paul the next day was given back over to the court And he was banished from Philippi in that moment. But the church remained. And the church flourished. And the church grew. And the church had problems. And the church had issues. And the church also got to see God move in marvelous, miraculous way. And Paul from afar, from a prison cell in Rome, is writing instruction for the growth and the pastoring of his church that they would see that if they have Jesus then they have everything that they need for joy isn't that the message for partnership in the gospel this is why we do church each and every week because the message for partnership in the gospel is that we're in it for joy That God would make us happy in Him and satisfied in Him. We go to Him. We long for Him. We seek Him. And that we together would fight ferociously for the joy of one another. And that we would call upon others to fight ferociously for that joy in us. That we wouldn't be satisfied with anything less than Jesus Christ. Together we are partners In the gospel for joy. And the Apostle Paul and his friend Timothy, as they pen this letter, say, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They write as servants or slaves of King Jesus. The word bondservant, which is actually translated here, servant, means that Paul has willfully given his life over to the command of Jesus. He says that I am a servant of the Most High God and I do His will and He is the one that directs me. He is the one that, that guides me and He is the one that I follow. And as Paul writes this, he is encouraging the brothers and sisters in the church of Philippi with thanksgiving and remembrance of the joy that he has in them. Verse 3. I thank God in all my remembrance of you, 
always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So, one of the things that I find fascinating, if I'm really willing to give my heart and my life over to God in the preparation of a sermon, is that this message is not just for you, but it's for me. So one of the things that I, uh, that I came away with was what are some of the barriers that get in the way of joy that we can pull from this passage and realize some of the dangers that can come about the killjoys that can come about when we do not give our hearts and our lives to God as servants for joy in his church. So point number one is I want to tell you that there is a a killjoy that can take place. A killjoy that can happen in you and a killjoy that can happen in us. And that killjoy is that of isolation. Isolation. A deadly place for any Christian is one of isolation. Because we need reminded of this gospel of grace. And that's what Paul does. He reminds them. In fact, his heart, as he is isolated in a prison cell, is to be present with the church in Philippi in order to remind them that they're in it together. They've got skin in the game. That's what partnership in the gospel implies, is that we are in it together. It's this inner weaving of our lives that works for the advancement of joy in one another. And this inner weaving is true fellowship. We think about fellowship, and maybe you've been churchgoer for a long time. Uh, uh, I remember going to a church as a young boy, and they had a fellowship hall. And so if you asked me what fellowship was, it was going into fellowship hall and having a meal after church that day. Or maybe it was fellowship in the cafe, or maybe it's fellowship at communion group before the Bible study starts. But fellowship is more like the fellowship of the ring. Anybody ever seen Lord of the Rings? They're in it to see that they're in it to see that the the world prevails and that evil doesn't bring destruction and that this ring doesn't get in the wrong hands. You have in a, a diverse group, by the way, you have hobbits and dwarves and the wizard and the ranger. And these people come together in order to see that the fellowship of the ring is guarded and they're in it together. And that's what the gospel actually does. It actually brings a diverse people together for the same purpose, for a fellowship. To say that we want to see the gospel advance. And so it brings together people of different ages and ethnicities and socioeconomics and races together for one purpose. Where we would typically be divided among worldly lines that we still can't figure out today The gospel has us all together right here in church on Sunday because this is the fellowship of the gospel that says we want to see God's plans advance in all people over all place over all time. And the danger of isolation is that you can't be given to that. The danger of isolation is that the enemy would pick you off and he would steal, kill, and destroy 
The danger of isolation is the withering of your own soul. I know it. The reason why I'm preaching it to you is because, man, when I have a bad day or when I run into conflict with people, you know what I want to do? I just want to shut them off. I just want to shut it out. I just want to crawl into a corner. Right? Anybody else there with me? But the gospel says that there is a work that God is doing that's far more important than that. And we're committed. Anybody seen the movie Sully? Uh, that recently came out on DVD. I didn't go see it in the movies, but I got it on Redbox. Um, So the movie Sully was a movie where Sully lands the plane in the Hudson River. Maybe you remember that. And as as they take off, the birds kill both engines. And he's, he's got about 30 seconds to think about what he can do next. And his best option is to try to do a water landing with this plane. And in his mind, he's thinking, how can we get through this alive? And how can all these passengers come through this with me alive? And quick with his thoughts, he lands his plane on the Hudson River. The night before that had took place, my wife and I were actually in New York City on the Empire State Building, overlooking that same Hudson River. And it is amazing to think through that just a day later, a plane would go over that bridge that we crossed and land in that Hudson River. And you know what was on the mind of Sully when he landed? And when everybody got to shore, what was in his mind? 158. 158. 158, that's how many passengers were on board, 158. Do you know that you're in my heart and in my thoughts on a day-to-day basis? And my prayer is is that you are in the heart and thoughts of one another, in affection for one another. Because in my prayers for you, I want to see God bring you through to the very end to pastor this church, to fight the own fight of faith in my life, to see that we are in it together. And God has given me that heart. God has given our leadership that heart. But that heart is not just for me or for a few, it's for all of us. That we would see one another's fighting for joy and to see no joy replace the joy that's found in the gospel. Isolation is a killjoy. Fellowship, partnership is the answer. Partners in the gospel of grace for the advancement of joy. As I read the passage and continue in verse 6, I find great comfort in this verse. And I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know, Sully miraculously had the power to land that plane that day. And I do think it was a miracle. And I think it's a miracle when we come to salvation in Jesus Christ. When we day by day walk in the salvation of Jesus Christ. And when we die or when Jesus returns and he brings us home. We go into glory with him. I think it's a miracle. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. 
Do you have faith in this God? That the God who started the work is the God who continues the work? And the God who continues the work is the God who completes the work? The God who started the work is the God who completes the work and he is the God who continues the work. You know where the other danger of pushing eject on joy is? Is giving up on it. Giving up. Saying I'm done with faith. I'm done with Christianity. I'm done with sanctification. The process of God making me more like him. It's difficult. You all know the difficulties of it. If you've struggled with sin, which identifies you as being human, then you know the difficulties with it. I talked to someone this morning and she said, it, it, it's amazing that God doesn't give up on me. And I, am, I, I can find myself so ashamed of myself because I always, always, always need to grow. And her story is one that I share. The need to grow in God and to be held captive to his will. But there is something that can get in the way of that. And that's saying that, no, I'm done. I'm done with this sanctification deal because it's hard. Listen, in the church, this should be a place where we say it's okay to not be okay. Like it's okay to come and confess. I'm having a hard time with it. It's okay to come and confess that marriage is difficult, that raising kids is hard, that the job has been difficult, that the journey is one that you are finding hard fought because it's in that honest place where you can ask for help. It's in that honest place, not only ask for help, but realize that you're not alone. You'll find, oh my goodness, you struggle with it and you struggle with it and you struggle with it. But the danger of giving up is that we can be like a half-built sandcastle on the beach. Or worse than that, anybody drove down I-4 recently and you still see that building down in Altamont Springs that's not finished, right? They call it the Majesty Building. You know what the city of Orlando knows it of? The Altamont Eyesore. We could be like that. But God's not done. God continues to build. He continues to work in our lives right now the God that started the work in your salvation like Lydia and the jailer and the slave girl is the God that continues the work day by day moment by moment listen while you have breath in your lungs and blood pumping through your veins God is maturing you 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 want to know why life is so difficult? Because tooth and nail, we fight against that process just like our kids do, just like my kids do when I'm seeing them walk in maturity. But you know where I see fruit in my children's life as a parent? You know where God sees fruit in our life? is not when we fight Him, but when we surrender to Him. God's calling us to surrender to His work. And He is the one that does it for His good pleasure so the word is not give up but persevere keep going continue on that's why paul says a little little later in chapter 2 verse 12 therefore my beloved as you have always obeyed so now not only in my presence but much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Listen, 
Listen, you might think that the emphasis is on you in that moment, and there is an emphasis on our cooperation, but verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on the church, because God does not give up on you. And the church is ferociously for your joy as the Holy Spirit works in us to see God work and to will for his good pleasure. Pursue that joy. Keep going for that joy. And know that all the sacrifices made will give you the gratification of knowing Christ Jesus on that glorious day when he returns and you will be perfect in his sight. This is the joy that we pursue and that we continue in. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 gives us this promise. He says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. A farmer understands that the cultivating work of the crop is hard work. It's blood, it's sweat, and it's tears. But there is a harvest that comes from God growing that fruit. And that fruit of righteousness that the, Paul, the Apostle Paul prays for just a little later is the fruit that God promises as we continue in Him. How countercultural is that? It, it doesn't fit with the world's view of joy that says, I want when I want, how I want it, Right now. That's the way the world views joy. And what it ends up is setting themselves up for failure later on. For desperation and for despair. And it's in that despair that God pulls us out of the pits. And says there's a joy that awaits you. That you will not find that the world can offer. And it's only in God. For me as I... I'm a young pastor, pastoring a young church. I realize how easy it could be to push the eject button on joy. Because I know it's hard. I know it's hard work. Because not only is there sanctification that takes place in your life, but it also takes place in my life. And I know even as I seek to be a husband and father to my children, to be a good neighbor and friend to many That sanctification takes place through and through. And we're desperately in need of God's grace and mercy. That's why we do not grow weary in doing good. Because we know in due season we will reap a harvest. And my last point from the text as we continue. Is that there is a killjoy. And it might seem subtle. But it's so very important to know. And it's very simple. Not praying. If we don't pray, there won't be joy. If we don't pray in the midst of our partnership in the gospel for one another, there won't be joy. If we don't pray for God to fill us and to continue his work in and through us, then we won't be a people of joy. And so, friends, we must realize That God wants us desperate for this joy that only he has to offer.
And are we praying for that? The Apostle Paul gives us an idea of what these prayers are for. Notice that when the Apostle Paul prays, his prayers are always for people. I don't know if you ever noticed that. If you read the Apostle Paul's prayers in his epistles, his prayers are always for people. And I love it because it shows us what we should be praying for and how we should pray. And Paul says that our love would abound, that our love would grow, that we would have more knowledge of God. Love and knowledge of God go together. And this love and knowledge of God would produce discernment. And this discernment would produce holiness. And this holiness would produce righteousness so that God would bear fruit in our life for Christ Jesus. That's the harvest that he talks about. That we would see a harvest of righteousness that comes by our love abounding for God and one another. And that we would pray for each other. Prayer is so important because prayer precedes life change. This morning I was humbled because there are people that were praying for my life to change. And that the words from my mouth would produce life change only by the grace of God through the power of his Holy Spirit. Prayers precede life change. Do you want to see God change your life? And you pray. You want to see God change the lives of those around you. You pray for them. You want to see God change the life of our church. And the direction of what God is doing. Or the direction of the city. We pray. And we pray together. Because prayer is part of that fellowship. How do you check? One of the ways I know that my heart has grown, can grow cold to my wife and my kids is that I ask myself the question, how's my prayers for my wife and my children? I don't know if you've ever been in that situation with a person or with a family member or friend, but it's a good indicator of your heart. And I think it also is of the body of Christ. How's your prayers for your church, for your community group, for your pastor, for the leadership, for the city? How's your prayers even for our president, for our nation, There's much that could divide. But the gospel brings us together in the fellowship of grace for the advancement of joy, knowing that God is the one who started the work. He's the one who continues the work. And he's the one who completes the work. So the answer is to pray. And you could pray the words of the Apostle Paul. May his love abound. May our knowledge for him grow. May he give us wisdom and discernment. Would he bring us into a place of conformity with his son, Jesus Christ, in holiness. And that the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of the spirit, would spring up of our lives. So that on the day of Christ Jesus, we would be with him. We would be a part of the 158 that make it. And he is overseeing that because he is the great shepherd of our souls. And the shepherd of our church. Paul talks about how the church in Philippi are partakers of his grace. Meaning that they have all received and eaten from the same meal that God provided. They all have taken the broken body and received it. And the shed blood and drank of that cup. Because Jesus died on the cross for them. He showed them to way of joy. 
You think about Jesus' life and how it must not have been very joyful at 33 years old dying on the cross. But the book of Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the sin and the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. Do you know it brought Jesus Christ joy to die for you and for me? I, I don't, it's not poetic to say that God is ferocious for our joy. It's true. Like, it, it, it's not just something that's fluffy and should make us feel better. No, no, there was a real event where his nails or his hand was nailed to the cross and blood came down from his brow and the flesh of his skin was torn off and the Bible defines that as joy because it was the joy of knowing that you would be with him and that we would be with him for eternity that he died. And so I pray that that redefines joy for us. You can't define joy from an encyclopedia or from a dictionary or from Google. You have to open the Bible and read about it and see it from the words of the Apostle Paul and our Savior Jesus Christ himself. And I want to give you this corny little acronym in order to help us to understand what this looks for. You'll remember it. It's simple, three letters, joy, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. Jesus, others, yourself. When you get that backwards, that's when you hit rock bottom. Think about the person that puts himself first and how miserable they are. Jesus, others, yourself, is the great commandment and the great commission in one. That we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and all our strength. And we would love our neighbors as ourselves. May we be a church that surrenders to that type of joy and forsakes the joy of this world in order to receive it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for that kind of joy. And that's the joy, God, that we need. Joy that says Jesus plus nothing equals everything. God, forgive us where we have pursued other joys. Things that were less than worthy of your praise and adoration. But God, show us the way to everlasting joy through your everlasting life. God, that's what we need. God, I believe you'll give it to us right now. I believe as we sing this song, as we take communion, God, that you have joy that you're giving us right now. And we receive it knowing, God, that that's what you died for so that we would find our joy in you and you showed us the way to get it. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we take communion, I want us to remember, as Paul says in verse 6, we have confidence in this, that the God who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That God right now is continuing in this work to bring about a satisfaction in Him, enjoyment of Him, 
And we do so by receiving the broken body, the shed blood of Jesus Christ for that enjoyment. And we know that our sin was put upon him. He was punished in our place. And we see the righteousness of God. Stand with us as we worship.